Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Which is, of course, I think, I think I've pronounced that right. Icelandic for Achtung, Achtung. Um, thank you to our regular listener, Carl Saverson, who adds helpfully the odd O, which and it's an O with a sort of... Cross on top. It's not an O. It's like a sort of D with a cross on a... Or, or, like, it looks yeah. like an aeroplane taking off the top of an orange. Yeah. Um, the odd <laughs> sounds makes, makes the th sound like in that. So it's a thugith, a thugith. So at the end, I mean, that just makes no sense to me at all. A well, there's not, there's not, it's not, it's not, we're being fooled by it. Anyway, let's not worry about it. So I mean, it's at, at Huggit, at Huggit. There we go, we'll take that. Um, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk, the podcast that leaps screaming out of a broadcasting transit plane with a serrated dagger between its teeth. My name is Al Murray, and yes, I am a Second World Waraholic. It's been two days since my last podcast. Uh, James Holland is here. Usurk von das Reich. I'm back from the Reich. Um, James, you've been, you, you've been evading the quarantinis, haven't you? I, and, I have, uh, actually, yeah. But can I just say that, actually, um, you and I doing this today, this morning, feels quite reassuringly old school, doesn't it? I mean, I, yeah, I feel we haven't done this this kind of just the normal know-where-you-stand pod yeah. for a little yeah. while now. No, for a little while, because we've had, we've had an array of extraordinary guests. Jeremy Black, in particular, um, <laughs> attracted an awful lot of attention um, when his went up uh, 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 last week. And... Um, uh, and it drove me back to the because I have a copy of his tanks book that you sent me the PDF yeah. of that, and I and I had a good I, 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 the thing he was saying about who got to write the history I, w- I went and had a look at the the, the basically there's a post war chapter um, yes uh, about, and it's a book about tank warfare so so the, the way the history gets written obviously feeds hard into doctrine and hard into the decisions the Americans make about what tanks they're going to use for the Cold War, um, what everyone's assessment of the Russians is, what the Russians are saying they did, um, which after all is all, is all you know, has all been sifted and uh, presented. And then, the, and then the fact that the German generals, and Guderian in particular, is the thing Jeremy says in his book, Guderian in particular, takes control of how the history um, of, of the Second World War is written, and particularly his involvement, and he completely downplays his political involvement in the regime, and and, and it the turns into, oh yeah, exactly, and it turns into what an astonishing Panzer commander he was, and um, everyone should everyone should realise what a brilliant man he was. And he talks about little hearts stuff, the other side of the hill, um, uh, uh, all that stuff, and it's really, 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 really interesting. And um, I, I can't remember when Jeremy said that book would be out, but that chapter alone is out. It's, it's out almost already. it's out already, isn't it? Yeah. That chapter alone is almost is almost sort of. It's the sort of nub of a great deal of the stuff we've been talking about. Right. The sort of the wellspring of a lot of the stuff we've t- been talking about, about how people look at the war. It's so interesting. Yeah. And, um, and you know, it, 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 I mean, God knows, Jerry, the way Jeremy's um, sort of mind works, he, you know, there's, some, there's, there's an issue of Punch from 1968 or something called the war industry, question mark, which talks about this thing that's going on in historiography and how, you know, um, there's a, there'd be these long published series of, of books about Panzers and Blitzkrieg that, yeah. that were published in the West. 
and uh, in the late 60s, obviously then cast a long shadow into the 80s of how people viewed the, con- the way the war was conducted. And then, of course, the reflexive version is that the Germans, the German view of it is, is of panzers, allied panzers, overwhelming them and, you know, the, the, the flip. The, yeah. the, 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 it's just so interesting. It's, and um, I thoroughly recommend it to anyone. If anyone enjoyed the Jeremy uh, Black podcast, um, uh, that book about tank warfare is well worth a look. And I can't wait to see his and book, it's a, and it's a very slim time as well. So it is actually an academic yeah. book that one can romp through quite quickly. I mean, what's great yeah, to yeah. say, I remember when I, uh, one of the times I was down at um, Bovington and using their archives, I remember David Willey took me around and he said, oh, I'm going show you this and I'm going show you that. And one of the things he showed me was the pike that uh, um, Percy Hobart, Hobart. had used yeah. and, and yeah. you know, in, in when he'd been in the Home Guard. But another thing he showed me was um, a signed first edition of um, Heinz Guderian's um, Panzerleader and um, with an inscription to Basil Littleheart saying, you know, dear Basil, you know, um, I send this with with humble admiration for the man who kind of taught me everything. I mean, I'm sort of paraphrasing, wasn't wasn't like that, but it was a total suck up kind of, you know, you know, trying to... Clearly, what's going on there? You know, this is sort of 1946 or something. You know, he's trying to escape the noose. I mean, yeah, he's just trying to save his skin. He's and, absolutely and, uh, trying to save his skin, and there's nothing and, more. And, it, and, it's, and, and 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 little heart was so vain that he just went, oh yeah, you know, I'm the daddy. I'm the daddy of Panzer warfare. I'm so cool. Yeah, and, and this guy listened stuck. to me. Therefore, you know, therefore yeah, I'm yeah. a guru. And it's an yeah. absolute crock of nonsense. Absolute yeah, crock of nonsense. But it's dominated so much history. I mean, it's uh, oh, or the way history's just. written. Uh, it, it, well, yeah, it's it. the great thing about Jeremy, and this is you know, I mean, when I was a young student at, at Durham, and he was teaching me sort of early modern history, um, uh, and we were doing sort of you know, wars of religion and and all that kind of you know the Dutch wars of religion and so on and so forth, and the French wars of religion. Yeah. One thing that struck me, kind of right, he's just so practical. You, you, you know, he he just sees it with this sort of very clear kind of no nonsense, cutting through the bullshit kind of approach. Yeah, which I think yeah. is kind of very yeah. refreshing. Yeah. Well, well, and uh, uh, a lot of comments um, from listeners saying um, we were it was astonishing that we got any a word in at all as well. As well, that is certainly true. He's come straight back to me and said, um, "Very pleased," because uh, I told him that you know it had gone down well. He went, "Very pleased. Happy to come back on again. Could talk strategy." Oh, fantastic! Sorry. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Fine, we'll, we'll do that. Yeah, then. well, maybe maybe we should talk to Laurie Friedman about that as well. Because yeah, no, that would be know, good. He, that would be he good. Literally wrote the book in it, and there we go. Anyway, uh, we, we, we earlier on we were saying, ladies and gentlemen, we were saying um, how nice it was that it's just a standard pod with no one else on it, and now we're already lining up um, more guests. Well, <laughs> but listen, so listen, I have just got back from the right, and I've got to say yes. it was an absolutely fantastic three days. I mean, just. So enlightening and 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 so interesting. And we had Monday. We spent the whole day kind of doing that. So I was with David Christofferson, who is Stanley yeah. Christofferson's son. And Stanley was the commanding officer of the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry from yeah. the fifteenth of yeah. June right through to the end of the war. And so yeah. it was kind of you know, I mean, David's a really old friend of mine, and it was great to be a really good mate for obvious reasons. But it was also kind of very special to be there with him on the first time that he's ever walked this kind of pilgrimage yeah, yeah. in following his father's footsteps so that was really really interesting we had whole of monday we were looking at the Guylenkirk and battle and and again yeah. you know the more experience you'd have of kind of 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 romping around battlefields the more you are able to read the land 
and kind of work yeah. out and you go okay so it's quite clear that this must have happened because and you can start kind of piecing it together and you can start to see why tanks were moving and, and infantry and armor were kind of moving in the way they were moving and where they were moving and you can see why they got stopped where they got stopped it was just so interesting and then to stumble across a kind of german mine in this wood was just fascinating i mean it was literally just i looked down and there it was um <laughs> it's sort of you know amongst the kind of the dead leaves and 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 sort of you know detritus on the on the wood floor yeah. so that was really fascinating uh, and then to do all the operation veritable stuff the next day and just you it really wasn't a big because it was sort of it was sort of on and off raining during that day it wasn't a massive leap of imagination to kind of be able to picture the kind of the roads yeah. waterlogged and all that and then the third day the thing that struck me more than anything else was just the sort of casual violence that kind of went on right through to the end so they're kind of you know yes. they, they got across the river rhine which was fascinating but not as big as i thought it was going to be yeah you know people talk about sort of 700 yards 800 yards wide it wasn't even light as long as that i mean it's more like yeah. you know, 300 i mean sort of freaking long wide river but it's it's not yeah. quite as big as you think so that was interesting no. um, not that there's any kind of sort of really military point about it's that it's funny because i got that in imp- I got that impression when I went to Vasil that, that, uh, um, right. uh, a long time ago. You stand there, you think, oh, okay. I, I, I get, it's the, you know, it's a, it, it's a big river if you haven't got a bridge, but, but it's not, it doesn't, it's not that half a mile wide, is it? No, no, that's no, the point. No, it's very strange. Yeah. But, but fascinating to do all that. Uh, and just just to see the landscape and just see what it looks like and see how these towns all sort of fit together, and of course there's yeah. some stuff that just hasn't changed at all, um, which was which was interesting. But once they cross the Rhine, you know, then they have a bit of a sort of uh, you know it's it's a bit of a yomp up to kind of sort of you know the Bremen Hamburg area. Yeah. And every single day in the war diary, you know, people are getting blown up by panzerfaust yeah. and people jumping out of woods and yeah. we were driving along this very same axis of advance that the the showed rangers were on this kind of gallop to the northeast yeah. yeah and every you know literally every three miles there was another wood that you went through yeah of kind of pines of oaks of beaches yeah. and all the rest of yeah. it and you could just see how the bee you come up in your tank there's the log across the road you stop yeah. to get out of it Boom! Out comes a you know some young Nazi with a Panzerfaust. Yeah, yeah, you know it yeah. was. And the other thing, and that, another another two blokes buy it, and someone else loses a leg, and and yeah. and that sort of that sort of low level, but but still you know, especially as they've all been together since June. Like it, it, the, the, these blows are, must be really hard to take. It's, and the feeling the war's ending. What are you doing? The war is over. What? Why are you doing this? Uh, absolutely. Which is. Which is the thing that, that that you really get from a lot of the, the a lot of the accounts of the last couple of months in particular, like yeah. what, what what on earth are you doing this for? You know when um one of Monty's um uh, uh, liaison guys, one of his aides is is killed mm. right at the end. Yes, um that's the, that's the feeling like you know he's bayoneted by someone right at the end of the war, and it, yeah. it, it what, what's that? What's going on? What's it yeah. for? Yeah, and interesting that the violence can even reach into Monty's TAC HQ yeah. right at the end of the war. You know that it's. It, and I mean, I always think this this informs when you start talking about you know and to, to, to sidetrack inevitably when people talk about Dresden, the war was nearly over. Well, no, no one knew that you know. And and while it's still carrying on like this until the end, there yeah. there is no end to the yeah, war. Yeah, no, at this no. Point. We, we were we were really really struck by that, and we looked into particularly we looked into the death of Dennis Elmore. Dennis, yeah. so Stuart Hills wrote a lot about his time in. Um, 
from with the shoulder range from Normandy all the way through, and yeah. um, uh, and it and his his account is just fascinating. And there's a published book, but there's also loads of other writings that he did, which I think he then yeah. sort of cobbled together to, to do the book. But yeah. Dennis Elmore and him have been at school together. You know, they were obsessed with cricket right. and sport and rugby and right. things, and they opened the batting for their school together. Yeah. Um, and they even had a match against I don't know some Marlborough or something. You know, at yeah. Lords in 1942. So oldest pals, oldest oldest pals. They're really super thick, and um, um, they join up together. They go to Sandhurst together. They join the Sherwood Rangers together, and they go for all through the war. And yeah. right at the end of the war, um, Dennis Elmore has taken over as intelligence officer. So. As a post, it's about as safe as you can... You know, it's one of the safer jobs in, yeah, the, in yeah. the regiment. But he's been getting, itching to get back into the action before the kind of war's over. So he gets given a, a troop in, in, B, in B Squadron. And, and one of the things that's really obvious is the rotation of officers is just constant all the time. Both both yeah. squadron commanders and troop commanders because they're either being killed or, or, or wounded all the time. So vacancies are always coming up. So he gets, yeah. his, gets his slot. And... They're at this crossroads going out, going out of a suburb of a sort of village suburb of Bremen called Star, uh, and they're heading north. and And uh, I think Frenchy Houghton is on is a is a is a squadron commander in I think it's a squadron, and yeah. he's held this this crossroads, and then B squadron come through, and Dennis's troop is in the lead, and he beetles on forward, goes around the next band, and. Frenchy hears this bang, yeah. and and an 88mm or certainly a high velocity anti tank round has gone straight into the turret, and that is yeah. it's game over. Yeah. So I was trying to work out where this was, and it's quite interesting because there's a lot of uh, um, that kind of sort of piecing stuff together is really interesting. So you look at the kind of Google Earth, and you can see, and you look, and you drive around, and you can see that a lot of the buildings are post war. In fact, a lot of them are yeah. only kind of sort of 20, probably 20, 25 yeah. years old. Yeah. So you then pull out of Google Earth and you can see the old road system because yeah. a new road system would be straight or neatly yeah. curved or, or it yeah. would be neat because yeah. there's no point in having anything else. Yeah. So when you pull out, you can see the old road system and you could see there was only one crossroad going north out of Star. Right, so on that this, must be where it was. So that was the crossroad. And then lo and behold, just a few hundred yards, you know, a couple of hundred yards is a right-hand turn in the bend. And you go. And that's where they. That's where that's they it. get you. That's where. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Come that on. was the spot, and it's all built up now, and it would have looked completely different back in 1944. But there is a or 45 rather, but there is a real moment where you you you're standing there, and you're just thinking, Jesus, you know, this is it. This is yeah. this forgotten episode, which nearly everyone on the entire planet has forgotten about. But it's really nice yeah. to kind of be here and considering yeah. that. And the other thing yeah, that was yeah. really lovely was was that on the 4th of May. Um, Stanley was at the regimental HQ and they were at this place called um, Karlshofen, uh, yeah. which is very near the San Bostel concentration camp. But it's actually a rather yes. lovely little village. Yeah. Uh, and he talked about getting this, you know, he settled, um, he, he took over the kind of regimental HQ in, in a rather picturesque, lovely farmhouse. He said, so we yeah. went into the village and, and it was quite clear which buildings were kind of pre-1939 and which were kind of newer. Yeah. And there was this big farm settlement, and David just looked at it and just said, "I know my dad. That's the one he would have gone for, <laughs> because he was brought up in Kent, and that house looks like a Kentish kind of yeah. farmhouse. Yeah, and he just would have thought like that. God, amazing! 
And we suddenly went, yeah, that makes sense because here's a, here's some barns and outbuildings where you can put the rest of Regiment HQ. You can put yeah. your dingoes and your armor cars and your Stuarts, and you know you can see where you'd put all the tanks and everything. Yeah. And there was no other place in that entire village where they had that combination of decent sized yeah. farmhouse where the officers yeah. and CEO can be, plus all the kind yeah. of outbuildings and all the rest of it. So it had to be that. How I mean, you'll never know hundred percent, hundred percent. But on that evening of the fourth of May. He mm. is expecting to have to go and drive up to take Bremerhaven. Yeah. So he is expecting the orders, the detailed orders of that action to go and take Bremenhaven. Yeah. Which actually sticks with your point. And a guy turns up, barely can contain himself. So I've got a message for you, sir. And and, it, and it's been handwritten down. And Stanley's a bit irritated because it's been written down too quickly. And it's yeah. in not very good handwriting. And then he reads it. And it's yeah. and it's and it's a beautiful summer's evening, and and, and you know the, the the oak trees are just starting to bloom, and you know all this kind of stuff. You know, it really yeah, is a yeah, lovely, yeah. lovely spot. And he reads it, and he says, you know, no further action, no further firing, no further skirmishing as of you know oh eight hundred tomorrow. The war in Germany is over. Amazing. Uh, and, Amazing. We, and we was and you know and David was standing there, you know, yeah, within yeah, fifty yeah. yards of where Stanley got that yeah, message would it, would it, it was a, it message. was magic it was absolutely magic is... and then we just as we were leaving we noticed this war memorial which is very unusual in a german village to the 1939 1945 wow. conflict it's like 35 names 40 names on there really yeah amazing just for this one small God. village and you suddenly think you... oh yeah because there's not a village in in the whole of uk that doesn't have a war memorial with some names yeah on yeah, it. yeah and you think but yeah. that was kind of you know eight hundred ninety thousand or killed or whatever it was in britain yeah in the first award nine million in germany so you know you yeah. think okay well it probably would be god amazing yeah so you're going to do more of these more more sherwood rangers trips then you're going to piece, piece well hopefully yeah i mean I, i've done all the normandy stuff but there's a bit more yeah. there's one thing the crossing of the river noiro which is right at the end of the normandy campaign which i really really yeah. want to do and was a, was a really yeah. tough fight for them all and that's where that stan perry um interview he was talking about this where he yeah. got wounded um but you know we just can't go into france and belgium and holland at no. the moment. were they in the van Maybe by the, january uh, or something were they in the van for the the Great Swan, or would they, had they been? Yeah, um, uh, yeah, 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 right. yeah, they wow. were. yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember. Oh, well, so yeah. the, and, and and he spends they spend an awful lot of time. Um, so obviously they're not they're supporting the hundred first airborne at Eindhoven. Yeah. But then after Market Garden, they are then attached to eighty second airborne. Right. And Stanley and Gavin become, you know, absolutely but, bezies. Really. And they have Amazing. a joint memorial service in Nijmegen. Incredible. In nineteen ninety or whatever it was. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Well, well, brilliant. Well, so I mean, it was just you, amazing. That's, that, that's what you've been up to. <laughs> yes. So what have you been up to? Oh, uh, uh, writing writing um, jokes for Spitting Image has been my main um, <laughs> the main the main my main grind at the moment. Um, anyway, well, right, it was and, very, very and funny. Spitf- and Spitfire funny. Factory, Spitfire Factory, which oh, yes. um, I did a load I did a load more of. Um, and just the stuff they do to get the Merlin uh, engines. There's a guy in Gloucestershire who has who has a Merlin uh, reconditioning business, and the stuff they do to get those those engines going, and um, it's so interesting. And they have a lorry yeah. that they put that they put that they put the Merlin on, and it's got a control. It's got the control panels for the engine in the lorry cab. They drive it out onto the no runway way. at Gloucester, put some chocks on on the on the van, and fire up the Merlin. 
it's absolutely amazing. Wow. And and run it, and they have to run it at full power for a certain amount of time and for an yeah. hour and all that sort of thing, and uh, and run it several times at half power, you know, all this sort of stuff. How do they stop it from sure overheating if they're kind of running it at... I don't, I don't know. It's not not in its cowling or anything. It's just sat no. there in, out in the weather. So maybe that maybe that maybe that's cool. That's the trick. Yeah, I've I was, got to catch up on that series. I've got to catch up. on It's it. fascinating. Um, yeah, it's no, fascinating. I bet it is. I bet it is. So so I mean, I think they had sort of two hundred hours, didn't they, on a on a Spitfire in yeah. in or something like that, or hundred hours or fifty. I can't remember what yeah. it is. It's sort of it's surprisingly small number of hours that a Merlin engine will last for in the Second World War. Yeah, yes. But, but are they a bit, strong, a bit more robust? Because I think the. Ec- I think the expectation is it needs to, it's 200 hours before you need to completely recondition the engines. And, the, and does that um, still apply? So, I think so. I think it's something, it's something like that. It's something like that. I mean, what's interesting in this is that the Greek, the Mark 9, the Greek Spitfire, this, this Greek yeah, Spitfire. Yeah, Peter following, one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that we're following the MJ755, I think, that right. we're following all the way through. Um, they're using, they've reconditioned the engine. They haven't, they've taken the actual lump off the, off that plane and rebuilt it from scratch and got it going again rather than going oh well we'll, we'll, we'll we can make one or we can p- make one out of bits or we've got one in a plastic bag somewhere they've actually they've redone actually it. reconditioned the engine redone it which means they've had to they've had to cut new parts and you know and fabricate new parts all this stuff it's really i mean it, 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 it's very interesting however it is a world the spitfire um, restoration world is a world populated by loonies basically so it's, yeah 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 it's, yeah. it's entertaining in there's that no respect. money in it Apart from losing it, no, I think it is. It is one of those businesses. There's only there's only there's only money to lose. Anyway, but the reason I brought that up is we are well. James and I are off to Biggin Hill to stroke Spitfires next week. Um, um, yes. There there should be two podcasts about our adventures coming your way. Although when we went to Tobin's uh, to uh, uh, place, there were only we were going to do a couple there, and we ended up with three. So you know what it's like. Yeah. There'll also be a filmed version of our big day out on the independent company site. For our patrons, yes. keep an eye out for that. There's also a podcast of James' trip to Germany that we've just been talking about. That'll be with you on Thursday. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take a brief break, and then we'll be back with your stories and questions. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. Um, did you? Um, whenever I go to Germany... I get stuck into the food because I really love oh, German food. I know, I know. It's terrible. I, I, you know, I had a couple of Wiener schnitzels, I had a curry verse, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> good, good. Tons of beer, had schnapps. Yeah. I absolutely, the... I mean, I was I was absolutely wanking on Tuesday night. <laughs> and David's quite bad. He's got a sort of naughty glint in his eye. And he's saying, come on, Jimbo, we can't have a, you know, you're not going to bed yet. And I was like, really? And he said, no. And I sort of, I, I sort of go all weak and sort of pathetic and kind of, you know, um, succumb to peer pressure, even if it's from oh, one fantastic. person. And, uh, and the Jägermeister and all that kind of nonsense. Oh, just, oh really? Oh, what are we doing? Uh, no, I'm, I'm a, and I'm Spate just Bagunda. So... Oh, God, I love it. I love yeah. Spate Bagunda. I love Spate Bagunda. Yeah, and I'm a so total su- sucker for schnitzel. The last time I went for German to Germany, when I went to Hamburg in February, I think I had schnitzel every meal. I think I'm just yeah, well, you know, yeah, all right. Schnitzel, bring it. Mergen. I mean, you know. <laughs> I, <laughs> right. So, uh, questions yes, and schnitzels stories all and around. Uh, Carl Saverson, who sent us the Icelandic for Achtung Achtung, with the with the, it looks like an O, but it's like a plane taking off on top of it. Yes, has a question. Hi there, fan from Iceland here. How about that? Wow. Yeah, we're a global reach. 
Um, the occupation of Iceland by the by the Allied forces during the Second World War. What was the rationale, and was it worth it at the end of the day? Fun fact: Did you know that Keflavik <laughs> Air Base was the largest airfield airport in the world by the end of the war? That's interesting. I had um, heard that. It's sort of a bit like sort of. Did you know that Cardiff was the second largest port in the world in 1900? Sort of things that sort of you sort of don't quite believe, but maybe it's true. Well, it- it makes perfect sense, though, doesn't it? Because it's because it's a, a hub, isn't it? It's, yes, yes, it's yes. A, a, a mega, mega hub a for mega for, hub. Um, for transatlantic uh, transport. Um, but the rationale was was that stop the Germans getting on it, and then you can control the battle of the Atlantic more effectively. Yeah. And, and, and you've got a, and you've got a base, um, a kind of sort of a stopover base on the route back to England. So, well, and strictly speaking, the fun fact is the reason. It proves the rationale yes. and proves it was worth it. Well, it, and that it, and the Battle it, of the Atlantic, which, uh, as yeah. you will know, that I've said repeatedly, was the most important theatre in the entire Second World War. So, so yeah. yes, that that is why, and it was absolutely worth it. And in actual fact, British troops, um, the Marines, it was only about seven hundred of them, landed on Iceland on your birthday, out on the tenth of May, nineteen forty. Yeah. Well, not yeah. nineteen forty, obviously, but yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that the, that the British are doing that uh, um, at that point. Yeah, on that, that day. Early. So, I mean, yeah. how many more things yeah. can happen on the 10th of May 1940? But, See, that's interesting. And then that's, the Americans that's... take over. But the Americans take over in July 1941. Yeah. They're not even in the war what? then. Hang on a minute. Yes. Wait one second. So that's very But they are absolutely very... in the Battle of the Atlantic at this point. They just that's are. very, very interesting. And, and this yeah, is about are. closing the net around the U-boats. Because what you want to do with U-boats, you want to try and get them to, uh, to submerge. Because the moment they yeah. submerge, they go down to about a quarter of their speed. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they, they can't You're stay down there for very style. long. Yeah. And they're cramping their style, yeah. and it means they can't inter, inter, intercept convoys and all the rest of it. Yeah. So you want to do that. And the best way to do that is to fly over them. Yeah. So you want to kind of, you know, that, 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 you know, already by kind of sort of 1940, late 1941, they're being pushed into the centre of the Atlantic. Yes, it's about increasing your, your the sort of concentric circles of air cover that you can deliver. Isn't right. It? And you want to t- get yeah. it, get it, that, that concentric circle, you want it smaller and smaller and smaller until it doesn't yeah. exist at all. So even while, um, obviously, the Germans are about to do something on the Western Front, the British like, right, OK, May, it's the same day. That's so interesting. May the 10th, the same day as the as the. As that happens, the British are looking in a different, literally in the opposite direction, aren't they? Yes. So, so what happens right from the I word mean, how go? Interesting. Right from the word go, um, the um, the British are making diplomatic overtures to Iceland, saying, you know, can you kind of, yeah. you know, let us come in here? And the Icelanders go, no, 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 we can't. And they are part of uh, the king, kingdom of Denmark, and then yes. Denmark, of course, gets overrun on the 9th of April. Yeah, uh, um, surrenders in about half an hour, and yeah. um, and and King Christian is is you know decapitated effectively. Yeah, um, and then uh, Iceland then declares itself independently neutral. Yeah, and Brit- and the British go <clears throat> whatever that means. Just not say. really good enough anymore. You yeah, know, the change is yeah. and I know it's not cool to kind of come in and invade you, but that is what we're going to do. But not a shot was fired. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was and you know, and the Germans are yet again. The Germans have kind of sort of missed the boat. I mean, you know, why don't they? Yeah. And, and one of the reasons they've missed the boat is because they can't do it because they can't sustain it. Yeah. You know, right. they haven't and got the naval look, power to be able to. They're, to well, they're not. They're, they haven't got the naval power, and they're not. They're not. They're not thinking like that. Yes, yet. but, but well, yes, but they should have done because if they ha- if they yeah. have the Z plan, which is their kind of massively large naval plan for for the late nineteen thirties, in which they're going to have yeah. a huge surface fleet. How is that yeah. surface fleet going to operate without bases? Yeah, 
you can't. So so it makes the whole thing just completely pointless. I mean, I mean, ridiculous. Well, uh, well, it depends what it's for, doesn't it? If it if if it's for satisfying Hitler's urge to build big battleships, and for stimulating steel building industry, then then it's doing its job fine. The Z plan, isn't it? Yes, but but you would you would think that if you're sort of given, you know if you're building up for yeah. all out war, kind of yeah. expending vast amounts of steel money, time and effort on huge yeah. battleships which are never going to compete with the Royal Navy, you'd have thought it's not a particularly brilliant idea when there's plenty of other things to spend that money and steel. But this but this is on. this is all the all the fractured thinking all the time all the that, time that that, 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 that that if you say try and rationalise it in terms of well they're trying to it's about their industry it's about it's about you know, keeping a skills base going and all that. If you look, approach it from the economic point of view, yes, but they're also preparing for all-out war, yeah. and and they aren't they aren't thinking straight about what that war should be like. Um, yeah, I mean that is so that is that, I mean, it's obviously you would if you're the British, you're going to occupy Iceland. You aren't going yeah. to, you aren't going to leave that uh, f- f- for for to make its own mind up or to fall into the hands of you know you don't want a Vichy Iceland, do you? And, no, uh, they, no you make sure... absolutely do not. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, it's, on the subject, I mean, ever so slightly tangentially, um, I was reading um, Alan Allport's new uh, twin volume thing, and he, did, he oh does yeah, I've just got that. Are you really dipping good. in already? Are you? I'm sort of slightly put yeah. off by yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. This chap, yes. yeah, Britain yeah. at Bay, and there's a really good bit which he uh, and he he does these. It's a good, it's a good thinky book. So there's a there's a thing called the another the other Dunkirk, a chapter called that, and it's a very very short thing about Merzel Kabir, right? Mm. And 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 basically saying, you know, if you want if you want a, a French perspective on the events of the summer of 1940, you you need to weigh weigh Merzel Kabir in that as much as you need to weigh Dunkirk as a miracle for the British escaping, right? If you want to know what the French think of what happens that summer, at the time, not necessarily now, at, yeah. at, at this kind of historic distance, but at the time. And I, I think that's an excellent point. And you also, you know, we, 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 we do occasionally discuss counterfactuals. What if the French Navy had gone, all right, we're off. We're going to join the British. We're going to join the Royal Navy. What kind of leverage, what situation that would have created in the Mediterranean? Or what that effect that would have had on the Vichy government whether the Germans would have gone all right then well we're going to we're going to occupy the rest of France if we can't have your navy I mean it's just it's a because as a course of action I completely see why the British do it but 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 also I don't you, you wonder if they'd been able to be a bit more persuasive and persuade the French navy to come over because it's well you know, I'm the not Admiral sure that they could because you know I mean uh, it's Somerville, isn't it? Who opens fire? Yeah, and, and yes, Somerville, Somerville is really yeah. good mates with the German, with the French admiral. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're pals. You know, they've they've cooperated throughout the 1930s and done joint exercises. Yep. They know each other yeah, really yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. They've shared dinners, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you know, if, yeah. if he can't persuade his best mate, one of his best mates, then you know what hope is there? There, there what hope is there? Yes. I mean, he calls himself. The, it, it, it refers to himself as the as the as the butcher of. Uh, of Algeria or something, he gives himself a, the unskilled butcher of Iran. He calls himself yeah, yeah. Uh, after Mezel Kabir because it because it's a turkey shoot anyway. It's not a battle yeah. or anything. No, no, uh, uh, but it's a good yeah. book, anyway, is it? But it's very it's it's very good, and it's and it's really good because because he it's quite deliberately. You need to think think about this from another way of looking at it. Yeah. Have a have another. So, what, but what's his overall thesis? I haven't finished yet. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm reading an absolutely amazing book at the moment. It's so interesting by Patrick Marnham, and Patrick mm. Marnham is a lawyer. I think he's a barrister, 
And he yeah. wrote a biography of Jean Moulin. Um, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, which I got and read, and it's really good. And since then, he kept getting these anonymous letters, a couple of anonymous letters, from someone really? who obviously knew all the players. Right. And saying, you you know, your book is really, really good on, on Mulan, but you need you to dig a little bit don't... deeper down this particular avenue. And it's all about the closing of the Prosper Circuit and how it was betrayed. Really? Yeah, and it's just... And we and I know we keep saying we've got to get people on. He's someone we it's just so amazing because he's gone at it with this kind of lawyer's forensic approach yeah. to kind of research yeah. and detail and really pieced it together. And he, and it's obvious he's absolutely cracked it. And it's oh, and it's I mean, I, you know, it's just so good. I mean, I've, I I've mean, got I'm to a... say it is it is the single best book I've ever read on the yeah. French resistance, really. Yeah, I'm and what happened? I'm all, just, I'm he also, just, he I'm just also... gets into the into the into it i'm also um i, I keep going back to the Volker ulrich the i'm on volume two now and yeah. um the thing that re- there's a thing that really strikes me is that there is a there the, the, the eastern front there are various points where hitler says actually we've we we have lost he admits it and he talks about well, there are going to be no further gains on that front and all this sort of stuff he he, he has to completely moderate his language and there's that amazing moment where um where he he's bawling the he's bawling the generals out. Yeah, um, and they are all basically, and he brings people in, and there's that his relationship with the with the high command is fascinating. So he promotes people, he fires people, and then uh, um, makes them declare their loyalty. And when I think it is von Manstein gets up and goes, "We're all right behind you," and Hitler, and, and he's done it because he really believes that, and Hitler immediately takes it as a power grab. He immediately sees it as um, uh, him trying to jump the queue, um, uh, 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 and it isn't because because and he isn't. He really, really because there's a rhetorical pause, and he goes, "Mein Führer, we're all right behind you, mate." You know, and and Hitler takes it paranoidly. I mean, it's just it's just so interesting how sort of baked Hitler is by the last two years of the war because Morel's filling in with monkey gland juice and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The pressure, yeah. the pressure is completely um overwhelming him and he won't go to anything he won't talk to anyone he won't leave his bunker he won't you know and Goebbels ends up having to do a lot of the speechifying because Hitler just won't do it because he knows that he can't go in he knows he's lost he can't go in public and talk to the public because he knows he's gonna have basically he's gonna have to lie and he even Hitler can't do that it's it it's so it's so well written it's so Mm. good it's brilliant um, and someone asked me to recommend, or someone was asking for biography recommendations, and I said you, that one, you know, because it's especially. Was Hitler I, I, the I really, man, and what makes him tick? There's nothing to touch it, is there? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the stuff about him being an actor is really the the, the fascinating thing that he he lives his life as an actor. Mm. So, and because because the Finns, when he goes to see the Finns, they bug him, and uh, uh, and so you've got the you've got the meeting. Um, uh, with, with Hitler switching into, you know, they've got they've got him hanging around waiting, and he's going, I'm going to show these, I'm going to show these Finnish yeah, bastards, yeah, you know, yeah. like who's boss? Germany's in charge. We're we're the ones in the driving seat. And then he's switched literally to like perfect diplomat, like completely perfect diplomatic language, handling the situation completely emoliently and, and getting what he wants out of it. It's 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 so I mean, it'd be fascinating to read a transcript of him. 
uh, of those uh, of those bugged meetings. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of a lot of those, but a lot of the other meetings that you know they they have got transcripts for, and they're just yeah. well, we were talking about it the other day with relation to Sicily. But I mean, they, they yeah. are just fascinating because yeah. the language of all of them is just so. You just, I mean, you're reading it now. You just think this is bonkers. Bonkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yes, and and what um, and and. and as the war, as the war, you know, the last two years after after Kursk, basically, he radicalizes himself further and further and further into anti-Semitism. Yes. In the end, that's all he's got. So when when he does speak publicly, it's all about, well, at least we're teaching the Jews a lesson and they're going to get theirs and yeah. all this sort of thing. And and, you know, which leads you straight to Hungary, which leads you straight to the to the. To, you know why they? He says why they're invading Hungary. We need to get our hands on those Jews. He says it to Goebbels. Mm. You know, so the idea that he didn't know. Anyway, um, another one. This is from John Ellis. Sorry, we digressed there ever so slightly. Ladies. We did just a teeny bit. This is a teeny bit. This is from John Ellis, who got in touch on Twitter. Don't forget, <laughs> it's at We Have Ways Pod. That's how you got in touch on Twitter. Loving the podcast. It makes my drive into Bordeaux pass by in a blur. A quick story about Sergeant Reg Furno, who was Rex a Battle Furnham, of Britain Rex pilot. Furnham. Rex Rex, sorry, Rex Furno, who was a Battle of Britain pilot and an old friend. He died in two thousand and four. I used to work for him, and we'd have great talks about the Second World War. One day, he was showing me some black and white pics from his days in the RAF when his wife said. Oh, Rex, you're not boring John with your war stories again, are you? He stopped for a moment, blinked once or twice and said, Hazel, darling? Yes, she replied. How many fucking Germans did you shoot down? (laughs) Hugh Hazel sniffing and going indoors in a huff. (laughs) When I did ask him later how many he'd actually shot down, his reply was not fucking enough. I miss the old boy. That's fantastic. It reminds me so much of my my lunch I had in the horseshoe up the road that I think you've been to with yeah. Paddy Barthrop. Did I ever tell yeah. you about this? So no, Paddy Barthrop, sort of legendary Battle of Britain fighter pilot, great mates with Billy Drake and various others. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, I had lunch with, with him and this other chap called Alan. Alan brought him down. Yeah, and he sat there, and he sort of looked like Michael Foot by this point. You know, he has mad hair, yeah. glasses, yeah. and he and he was sat. He had a pint of beer and his soup, and he was sort of slurping, and he was just being a grumpy old man about literally everything. And there were there were some sort of rather sort of twee kind of ladies who lunch on the next door table. Yeah, and he was going, "This is you know, this is about twelve, fourteen years ago." He was going, going "Yeah, fucking Blair, fucking government." Fucking yeah. Brown, you know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're all fucking, uh, fucking Tories, fucking Labour Party, yeah. Yeah. fucking Brilliant. fuckers, a whole fucking lot of yeah. them. Uh, and anyway, and then it sort of got on, he goes, and fucking democracy in this country, you know, the whole parliamentary system needs a complete overhaul. <laughs> right, so what, yeah, all right, so w- what would you replace it with? And he looked up, he just went, fascism? <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> oh, so funny! I was just crying with laughter. <laughs> he's so funny, and he, you know, he's one of these people. He's sort of been around the block, been there, done it. Um, yeah, he had various businesses <laughs> that kind of failed and then worked again. And he, you know, he's in his. I suppose he was in his nineties, uh, late eighties by that point, and he just couldn't give a toss. You know, he just <laughs> said what he thought. <laughs> just very funny. Oh, amazing. Uh, right, anyway, I mean, here's another one um, from Al Allen. Uh, this is a cracker. He's a good friend of the pod. Um, I, I usually makes it to the Thursday night live cast um, uh, in our stream. We hope you and um, those of you that uh, tried it um, liked it last week. 
Yes. Um, uh, when we threw our doors open to everybody, we over a thousand, we had a thousand on, didn't we? We had something like a thousand. Yeah, yeah, thousand and thirty-one. Very gratifying. Um, I thought this might make Al and James chuckle. I recently left the Metropolitan Police about eight years ago. I was in a busy East London borough and called into the commander's office for a bollocking. As I walked in, I had to do a double take due to the framed small swastika flag on his desk. God, is this a is this a story Where's about this the going, British, Al? This is a story about the Met that maybe should be best left. Um, uh, once the words of advice had been administered, I asked about it and apparently his dad had served in the Second World War and claimed to have liberated it from one of Hitler's cars. He did say that when he had public visitors, he hid it. It still makes me <laughs> chuckle. Cheers, Alan. Um, well, goodness me. <laughs> Quite an odd thing to have in the commissioner's office. I mean, and on your desk. I mean, maybe in a... a maybe tucked away in a drawer. I mean, I wouldn't you, you, you if maybe if it, you had your that photo of your dad liberating it in the same frame, and then you could then you could at least could claim provenance. But anyway, ah oh dear, crikey! But by the way, um, uh, in case you didn't know this, October the thirteenth today, that's the day that Italy declared war on Germany, of course, in nineteen forty-three. Well, a bit of yeah. Italy. Well, yeah, what was yeah the, the southern yeah, bit. some of Italy, southern, southern bit that was being propped up by the Allies, yes. Yeah, the bit, but well, no one really, they didn't really have a choice, did they? I mean, let's be honest. No, now, and but, they didn't really have anything to offer either. And the Americans just said, there's absolutely no way we're going to train these Italians. If you know, if you want to get the Italians yeah. involved, you're going to have to do it yourself, you Brits. So the British trained them. And actually, one of the guys who was um, who was looking after them was <laughs> no, Nana Wigram. Right, Wigram, Wigram, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah, he then yeah, led yeah, them yeah, into yeah. battle and got killed. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, okay, uh, uh, what else have we got? Rob Spencer. Good afternoon. As a member of the independent company, I would like to inform you I've been detached to the UN as of December for six months in Somalia. Wow. Could I possibly ask if Alan James could cover off what happened in the Horn of Africa during the war? All the best. Um, Rob Spencer, RAF. Yeah, sure. Well, Somalia, there were three <laughs> Somalias in, in those days, not one. Yep. There was French Somalia, British Somalia and Italian Somalia. And Italian yeah. Somalia was sandwiched between... Kenya, which was British, and, and yeah. British Somalia. Then there was Eritrea, which was a small island, a small, yeah. a small, not island, a small, a small, a smaller country, north yeah. of sort of sandwiched between British and no, sandwiched to the left of or kind of north, I suppose, of French Somalia, which was tiny. Yeah. Uh, and then there was Abyssinia, yeah. uh, which is now Ethiopia. Yeah. And the Italians had taken over Abyssinia in 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 the in the nineteen thirties, um, and then there was obviously it was um, Italian Somaliland as well, and yeah. um, in August 1940 they invaded British Somaliland and took that over. Yeah, uh, and the British then sort of geared up um, and and transferred troops and all the rest of it and, and launched their attack in I think it was January 1941. Yeah. And the first yeah. strike actually was Ord Wingate. Yes, he of um, Chindit fame later on in Burma. Um, yeah overseeing a force of Emperor Haile Selassie, who'd been in Sudan yep. in exile since being overthrown as Emperor of, of, of And Wingate Asia. had been in Palestine before that, hadn't he? And yes, had, and, uh, and caught Wavell's eye. And Wavell at the time was, yeah. Field Marshal Wavell was the Commander-in-Chief of the Middle East, which included yeah. all that bit in Africa. And, uh, and Wingate, Wingate was, um, uh, uh, he was a sort of radical Christian, wasn't he? And he became extremely um, sympathetic yes. to, towards Zionism, didn't he? Yes, and he did. So, yeah. uh, uh, and kind of basically helped out yeah, um, in the in the thirties, uh, with with the with the resistance, the Jewish resistance in yeah. in, in Palestine, didn't he? I mean, he yeah. he, had, he had a very a very peculiar career, and and 
Um, and then he tried to commit suicide Af- by stabbing himself in the neck. That's right in in Africa because he because of his supposedly because of his malaria medication, wasn't it? It, it sent him around the bend. But he was um, quite odd anyway. I think it's fair to say. He was quite yes, he was pretty odd anyway, and used to like to come to meetings naked and all that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, really, uh, really uh, weird. It, it and had a beard, helmet, and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was considered massively infradig. But yeah, um, obviously, when you're in East Africa, you can sort of get away with those kind of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but that's the, so that's the first sort of small force that goes in from Sudan. Then there was another force that the there's General General Platt who comes into the north into Eritrea, and they have quite a big fight at a place called Karen. That 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 is the single biggest engagement of the east african war and and then simultaneously then general cunningham um yeah. who is the brother of admiral cunningham who later becomes yeah. briefly eighth army commander later on in 1941 yeah um for the um um for battle uh battle axe yeah yeah no crusader crusader yes yeah, yeah, for yeah. crusader in november 1941 and in north africa um he then attacks from kenya and they right. take Mogadishu in. Uh, they go straight into Italian Somaliland. They take Mogadishu on yep. like third week of February, twenty fifth February, something like that. Yeah. Um, and the big and then they go actually they they press on and and Emperor Haile Selassie with meets up. So that force meets with uh, Cunningham's force from the south, and they're going to Addis Ababa, uh, the, the the capital of Abyssinia, on April beginning yeah. of April, sixth of April, something like that. Yeah. Um, and then. Uh, after the fight from Karen, then, then Platt's army then continues to push south, and basically the whole thing's over by May 1941. Although the last Italian resistance, because it's kind of sort of remote and in some mountain, and everyone's got other things to think about, doesn't yeah. actually. So there's no formal official surrender of East Africa until November 1941. But 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 actually, it's all over by May, and it's another it- absolutely crushing defeat for the Italians. Yeah, but the Italians had behaved so badly in that part of the world. It's not like it's not like no, um, appalling. Uh, it's not like the, the 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 even even though this is basically um, uh, rush for Africa imperialist um, yeah. hangover stuff, yeah. you know, uh, 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 and and kind of entirely nineteenth century in its sort of um, in its sort of geopolitics, isn't it? Yes, um, the, the, it involves the, the, biplanes the, and ferry battles. It, it, exactly, uh, and Vickers Wellesleys. Exactly, and all that kind of stuff. The, 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 the simple truth is, is the Italians, the Itali- no one is no one locally is keen on the Italians sticking around. So that so there's really no way there's no way that the Brits the British aren't going to find it easy, really, is the truth. No, and they say to Haile Selassie, you can go back and be emperor again and he is until he yeah, dies whenever yeah, he yeah. does. You know, yeah, yeah. 70s yeah, yeah. or something, yeah, isn't it? Oh. Yeah, exactly. They they let they they, they, they they want status quo there, don't they? Or status quo ante. Um uh, right, okay. Uh should we do one should we do one more? Yeah. This is from history this is from should we do let's do the one from history blitz. Um, uh, were there any Soviet bomber raids on Berlin or any other German cities during the war? Obviously, the RAF and the USAF hit German cities regularly throughout the war. And I wondered if the Soviet Union contributed to the bombing campaigns that got close to German soil. Keep up the great work, chaps. Well, no, not really. I don't think they did. I just don't think they because they never, they never really developed a big bomber, did they? They never developed strategic, strategic air force. I mean, the, the no. whole point about the Soviet, although there are vast numbers of, of aircraft involved, they are, they're tactical air forces. Yeah. You know that, that that's why you have the you know the ill twos and all the rest of it. You know yeah. they're, they're they're there to support ground troops. Yeah. So they just don't have and and the Luftwaffe don't really they do bomb, but they don't much. I mean, there's the, there's the kind of much vaunted bombing attack on Moscow, which is sort of you yeah. know fifteen planes dropping kind of one bomb or something. I mean, you know, yeah. it's not not quite as bad as that, but but it's pretty feeble. 
Yes, so, they yeah, don't it's, make, just, it's just they not, don't... it's just not a big thing, you know. Well, the Luftwaffe, the Luftwaffe basically for, for for the Eastern Front for Barbarossa reverts to type, doesn't it, and and uh, operates as a tactical air force, Completely. and the uh, and the and the uh, and the Red Army Air Force, whatever it, is it called that? The, yes. The, yes, it must be. Yeah, they're 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 doing they're doing the same thing. They're they're they're, they're repaying in kind, aren't they? Yeah. And and after all, <laughs> the British have said, leave that to us. We'll do the we'll deal with the cities. Yeah, because that's a um, whole bit of production you don't need to worry about. Although yeah, having yeah, said yeah. that, they are producing. Obviously, they're producing vast numbers of aircraft, but they're producing, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're smaller yak well, planes and, and and when the Allies and the, when the Western Allies do try to do try to fly over and and base themselves out of um, Soviet bases, they find that that they're, they're greeted with sort of um, uh, not hostility as such, but certainly a cold shoulder, and it, it's as if strategic bombing isn't the thing the Russians really believe in at all. Yeah, and I think something like out, out, out of the whatever it is, eleven thousand hurricanes that are built in the Second World War. Um, or, or full stop. Um, I think yeah. it's like four four thousand six hundred or something go to the Soviet Union. Yeah. Wow. Mm. That's Gosh, a rather that's a cool white painted painted ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's quite a chunk, good. isn't it? That's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Well, I think I think we've we've done our, we've gone around the houses there. Yeah, um, we have. We've done fifty little, minutes. Uh, You've done a f- exactly. Um, uh, well, we have lots to come, so don't forget. There's a trip to Biggin Hill. There's the live casts on Thursday nights to look out to. We're going to get Jeremy Black back. I think that's ev- self-evident. Um, We're going to try and get some ones. Americans on. We've got lined up. We're going to get Americans them on. Um, uh, and as ever, thank and you Germans, for listening. The whole lot. We need to get some Germans on, don't we? We need to. We need to. Yeah, yeah sort that out. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Anyway, um, it's a pleasure as ever. Uh, nice to talk to you all. See you soon. Cheerio. Cheerio.